Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Dear Edify, I know we've all had long seasons of peace in our years of ministry, but I know that we've also endured strong criticism too. I realize that criticism can be friendly so that it feels like a little rain at a picnic, but it also strikes, it can strike, like a tsunami that threatens to tear down its victims. For the last month, I've felt the tsunami. Let me explain, and I'll leave out names to protect the guilty. Last week, a church member visited my office and informed me that she had been keeping a close watch on both my life and my doctrine. As to my life, she complained that I talk too much, that I preach too long, and that my attention span is too short, especially when she's trying to talk to me. As to my doctrine, this sweet sister went on to call me a Presbyterian or a Baptist or something other than a Christian because in our study of Ephesians, I dared discuss the doctrines of predestination, of election. Never mind that these topics dominate the early words of this powerful epistle. Further, this sister informed me that she uh, and her family were leaving the church and were going to one that is larger across town with a, you guessed it, hyperactive youth group. The next day, a deacon stopped by and wanted to know why he never sees my vehicle parked in front of the church. I tend to park in the back, he puts in parentheses, especially at a few minutes after 5 p.m. Before departing, he called me lazy, but also, quote, a typical preacher, end quote. Yesterday, two of my elders met with me and went through several pages of a list of things I've been doing wrong as a preacher over the last few months, including too much talk about evangelism, too little visiting of our shut-ins, too much time in sermon preparation and in prayer, and too much time at my son's ball games. Today, our financial secretary let me know that the church's general account is operating at quite a deficit and suspects our people are falling falling away and failing to contribute financially in rebellion against me. His counsel was to begin preaching topical sermons with less emphasis on doctrine and more emphasis on homespun stories. He said, doctrine is for the seminary, stories are for the people subtly hinting that I'd perhaps be happier as a professor than as a preacher. Of my several years at this church, heated criticism has been fairly constant and has come from various corners. To be frank, this week may be my final straw for my ministry here. I do not know if pulpit ministry is for me, and I'm growing in certainty that this church, with all its critics, is not my future. Please tell me what you think. Is it always going to be this way? Am I justified in shaking the dust from my feet in the face of such treatment? Surely this isn't normative. Faithfully yours, Preacher in Flames. Well, (laughs) Preacher in Flames, no. It is not normative. Most of the brethren that you will deal with, most of your life and most churches are some of the very best people of this world. The gospel is real. It has changed lives. But there are always going to be people who they aren't really committed to Jesus. Um, let's let's talk about some of this. Criticism is, as you and I well know, a universal element in regards to leadership. 
church leaders are in no way exempt. In fact, some people are more apt to con- to uh, give quote constructive criticism to us rather than to their bosses. But anyway, most uh, most preachers hear far more praise than blame. But you and I well know that compliments feel they feel bad as well. I'll say they'll feel bad more than a, a compliment feels good. So a compliment will feel worse than a compliment will feel good, uh, and 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 the complaints um, that feel bad um, they stick in your memory. They they stay in your crawl. Um, a very well known gospel preacher. Uh, he was a very great preacher, very visionary leader. He had to endure uh, such criticism from the church where he was that he almost uh, well what's the word. Let's use the word despaired. There we go. And he had told a confidant, quote, after 12 years as a preacher, I had to put a wall between myself and my people so I wouldn't have to quit the ministry, end quote. Well, that's sad. But, you know, to understand criticism, you first have to grasp that it is inevitable. Even the most talented, most fruitful, most godly of preachers are going to feel the lash. Let's talk about three different preachers. Uh, we'll call this first one uh, Jim. Jim is an introvert. Uh, being an introvert, he he loves to sit. He loves to craft. He loves to read. You know, and he's he's crafting insightful sermons, and and in and in which those sermons he he's going to make great points, and he's going to do it in sparkling language, and it's just going to be some of the best preaching that you've heard. But see that same introversion that is of that is of him. It it permits him to sit and to think, which is great. But it also makes him a very social disappointment in a lot of circles. He can be a great preacher, but his weakness may be, may be ministry. But not so much Jim. But let's talk about the second guy, Bill. Old Bill, you know, he's a strong preacher. He is um, great with organizational skills. He's the kind of guy who's going to preach a sermon, but he's also going to uh, direct the ministries in the local church. He's he's going to do it also internationally. You know, he's going to be your guy to go around the world. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's so so out there. Um, but he works at such a pace that that critics say that that he that he never has time for his own people. And then there's Jack. Let's let's use this third guy, Jack. Jack is a fine preacher, supremely friendly. And he always has time for his people, yet his his elders say that he ignores his leadership responsibilities. Okay. There there is no perfect man. Okay. The perfect man was Jesus, and he's unavailable at this time to preach at your local church. So for, for everybody who's listening to this, if you're an elder or deacon, please have an a, an honest expectation of the man in front of you. We we should not be looking for a few perfect men because there are no such animals in the kingdom of Jesus. You know, some of the greatest preachers were fired because of their flaws. Uh, you would think, no way, no way. Surely the eldership would 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 endure this issue or this one uh, for what he for what this man is able to do, what he means to the church, what he what he's done for the family, what he's all of these sorts of things. But that's not always the case. Uh, if you were to sit down and ask a congregation, what is it exactly that they're looking for? You know, what what do you want in the next preacher? And let me let me sidebar this. If you're if you're an eldership and you're you're listening to this, if you uh, serve, you know, as an elder, or if you're a deacon one day, God willing, you will be an elder, uh, one of the just the highest office in the land, you know, or if you're a preacher and, you know, maybe maybe you want to the the church wants to hire, you know, an associate, they want to hire a 
uh, somebody in youth ministry or somebody for an internship or whatever it may be, you see some churches that elderships will delegate the hiring and firing, uh, really the hiring, to a, quote, search committee. I don't know. I do not know. Uh, I'm not going to say that it is sinful. No, I won't say that. It is not necessarily sinful, but it is absolutely unwise when you have a, quote, search committee uh, looking for the preacher. I don't know if elderships are lazy. I don't know if elderships, some elderships have good faith when they do search committees. They want their, they want, uh, you know, some deacons and their wives and their family members to be a part of the hiring process. I get it. I understand it. This preacher is going to have to work with them. I'm not saying that they're not involved, but when when an eldership totally just delegates the hiring of a preacher to quote a search committee, um, I think that they're that's very unwise, and you're shirking your responsibilities to God. The eldership are charged as shepherds, by the way, point men. They are to feed the flock of God that is under their care. So to delegate something so, so, so commanded to somebody else, I feel like that that's a very unwise thing to do. Anyway, coming back to that side, coming out of that sidebar, um, whoever it is going to be doing the hiring in a local congregation, you're of course you want the next guy to just be virtually perfect okay and they hope that this guy is going to fix the weaknesses that are perceived in their previous preacher or what he was and what this what this is or what this is and you know churches are looking to replace mike because he's an introvert or bill because he's too busy you know um they want somebody to be more sociable they want him to be out there and so they're the when you hire somebody like Jack, remember that third guy, Jack is, is, is so relatable and he's so involved with the people that he doesn't have time for the leadership skills. And then there's going to be churches that are going to say, well, we're tired of Jack and we want a Mike or a Bill. So there's no such, there's no such thing as a perfect fit necessarily. There are things as an, an imperfect fit. That's just the reality that not every preacher can fit at every location. Um, that's just that's just how it is because we all we're all different we all have different makeups and different backgrounds or cultures or whatever it may be so we may not fit uh at every particular local work and that's okay we weren't made to be preachers are not universal tools that you can just plug in anywhere uh it, it does matter it does matter um and then sometimes you have churches that that won't by contrast somebody who is completely opposite to the last guy um you know if you if you had a guy who was a part of the church plant beginning okay and he's preached there for 47 years and he's like one of those elders who doesn't understand it's time to go and he just stays in office and stays in office and stays in office and he becomes completely unrelatable to to the church and he's he's really just a fossil there and, and and please hear me out. I'm not saying older elders are are unuseful. I think I think elders that are old uh, have a whole lot of use uh, in their wisdom, in their insight, in their patience, in their temperament, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. But in some ways, you're supposed to be active and shepherding, and 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 as long as as long as you're able to do that, rather than just be a biblical fossil who who knows a lot and has been through a lot, uh, you can be you can be a great tool for the eldership. But anyway. Um, that's, there, there are some churches that, that will get a hold of somebody and they say, we want somebody who's the exact opposite of what we had. This guy lasted too long. We, we, we endured this too long. We did this too long and we want somebody else. And that's completely fine. Um, churches want to go in new directions all the time and that's fine. That's fine. 
but but naturally churches want an ideal preacher. I mean, who doesn't? Um, but criticism of the best, you know, um, older preachers, you know, most most experienced preachers, um, that's going to happen, and that shows that everybody is susceptible. You know, not every person has every single gift when it comes to ministry and preaching. Um, we can't always be everywhere at all time. In Genesis chapter 1, you have the only person who does not have limits, God, and then he creates human beings who absolutely have limits that God has put on them. We have a 24-hour Hebrew word, yom, day uh, to get things in. And that 24-hour period, God calls good, but he also says that's a limit. That's 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 considered a day. So if you're if you're struggling with fiery criticism like this preacher on fire over here, um, join the team. We, we're, we've all been a part. You all will be. Most most people are going to get criticized. It's just just going to happen. Um, I I've asked I've asked before uh, of a group, um, especially of a, of a particular group of church leaders. I asked them what's the greatest problem that they've had to face, and this particular group replied opposition from. Uh, subversive or divisive uh, co-leaders, maybe folks who are self-appointed critics within the church. So what I want to do is I want to consider that. Why Why is that the most problem? Why are people who are the critics the most problem? Because sometimes you think, well, the squeaky wheel uh, gets the grease, and that's true. But also, you know, you also have issues where um, criticism become becomes too much and too burdensome. And you have folks who don't have a, a backbone enough to say some things to the critic. They just let them go on. Let's let's look at a couple different things. Uh, number one, fair criticism. Okay, we, we all deserve criticism. You know, preachers are individuals who sin too. They make mistakes too. We sin in private. We sin at work. We when we're exhausted, we get irritable. We when we're when we're puzzled, we get angry, or when self discipline begins to go out the door, uh, then we prepare in insufficiently, you know, for our duties. When we're lazy, um, the sermon comes together Sunday morning right before you get up to preach. Okay, you, sometimes we we may speak without preparing adequately. You know, you may lead a meeting or have a group session or this, that, and the other where you don't create an agenda. You don't have, you don't frame the issues. You don't have a point. You don't, you don't, you don't have a direction for the folks to go. Uh, for those of you who, who labor and you counsel as well, you, you, you may listen poorly and you think, can you please get to the point? And what's wild is that most people can feel our impatience by just our body language. So we all deserve it. All, all of us deserve it. None of us are perfect, and so there is room for a critic. You know, I didn't say a bad one, but I just said a critic in general. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But but good churches love their preachers, but they also see their weaknesses. That's a reality, and that's okay. Don't be insecure about, about your weaknesses. Just just embrace them. They are what they are. Understand them. The the last thing and the worst thing that you, you should do as a preacher, elder, deacon, uh, is to at Act like you don't have any weaknesses, and when when your weaknesses are brought up, uh, you shift the blame, you shift the conversation, you don't take no, whatever it is. Don't be that guy, okay? Nobody nobody likes that guy. Uh, that kind of guy needs to be, um, um, well, we'll just get Levitical and lay hands for a little while. That kind of guy, nobody likes that guy, okay? Jesus don't like that guy. There was a, uh, a I guess a solo preacher, bless his heart, of a particular small church, and he once said that at one point, I really thought that if I preached good sermons 
everything else would take care of itself. <laughs> and his his pe- his people, uh, the church, rightly objected to this habit of hiding in his office and told him to get out more. You know, he he resisted briefly, but then he listened to people who who had a very proper interest in their preacher's growth. So correction is is deserving sometimes, but it can be gentle or it can be severe. And because it's easier to hear gentle correction than than fiery criticism, 2 Timothy 2.25, a wise preacher is going to, is still going to do this. He's going to invite trusted friends, co-laborers, part of the staff, one elder, all the eldership, whatever it is, to come to him, come to him with this, with the concerns about whatever it may be. So regardless of the critics, presentation, their heart, their attitude, whatever, listen to them, listen to them. In fact, what I, what I like to do when I have somebody who, who begins to instruct me, whether I be in an elder's office or whether I be sitting down with a person or they, they want to schedule a meeting to come see me, I will write down, uh, everything that they're saying. Uh, and it just helps me process because sometimes when we hear those kind of things, we begin to shut off or we, we close our ears or we black out for a minute, lose our mind. And somebody has been slapped nine times. No, I'm kidding. I didn't mean that, but, but that's kind of how you can feel. You can be enraged and you forget all about what they are saying, whatever the nugget of truth may be in there. You just, you just throw it out. You throw the baby out with the bathwater. So in a very important sense, uh, critics can hurt. That's true. Um, our friends, and and fellow laborers, fellow workers, the true yoke fellows, you know, that when when they speak in love, they want us to to become the best version of ourselves, and that's good and noble. Um, and if they're right, even if they have a flawed motive, they give us an opportunity to correct a mistake or address a weakness, you know, and get better. And if they're wrong, here's the here's the wonderful thing: the Lord knows, and the Lord will take care of it. You don't have to fight every. You don't have to fight to every hill that you've been called to, you know. And like I said, there's there's usually a a, a a partial truth to the charge, because a critic, rest assured, they're going to be looking for a flaw, you know. Um, and sometimes it's it's best not to consider the source, okay, and 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 instead just to listen. And taking all the plausible criticism seriously, so regardless of the motive, I'm I'm thinking of Philippians one fifteen through nineteen. Regardless of the motive, seize every opportunity to grow, examine ourselves, ask ourselves, evaluate ourselves, those sorts of things. Discern your flaws, consult your, you know, your, your you know, other folks on the team, talk to the secretary, talk to this, this person, this person, whoever it may be. Lean on wise elders and wise, you know, shepherds and, and preachers uh, and mentors and confide in loyal peers. Okay, so that's, that's beneficial. And, and it may seem as if there are only two kinds of criticism, accurate and inaccurate, and fair and unfair, but, but there is another category, criticism that is both neither criticism in reality that arises uh, from the structures of life. And let me tell you what I mean by this. There, there is a certain amount of disagreement, disappointment, and, and at least apparent criticism seems uh, fundamentally or, or fundamental to post-fall society, okay? since Genesis. And the reasons for that are sef- several. You know, the first may be that a preacher with any with any motivation or any any call to to preach, you know, and is going to inevitably collaborate, work alongside with talented, successful, opinionated people who love him, but they disagree with his perspective on on positions from time to time. That's going to happen. Second, if the preacher you me hears but we ultimately reject a volunteer's counsel 
you know, or a proposal, that, that volunteer will be disappointed and may say so very loudly, uh, especially if the preacher's plan doesn't work very well, you know, which is mine and yours. That is inevitable. Third, preachers see problems that invite and even demand restoration or reformation, okay, reforming of something. And most people resist change, so that's that's going to happen. Uh, the, and those who are committed to the to the you know existing order, you know, uh, will resist that those proposals for that new system. They don't want a changing of the guard, if you will. And it's wise, very very wise, to move very very slowly on major changes and and to build consensus and to build camaraderie and relationship. And but but rest assured, the day of decision is going to come. And so everyone who has who has thrived under the old system. Um, Blah, maybe an enemy to those who may thrive in in a new system, um, and instead of being friends to the new system, they're going to be lukewarm allies. You know, just combative, just 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 poison to the work. So even if change is effective and the church church begins to grow, another problem is going to arise, and that's that dynamic leadership is always going to face opposition. A very rapidly growing urban church will will rouse protests from its neighbor over the increased noise, over the traffic. Nearby preachers are going to be possibly jealous, and, and they're going to imagine that, that they can detect compromise and, and, and heresy and all this other stuff. Um, anybody with skill and influence becomes a target. Even old, young preachers, doesn't matter, God's kingdom, you're still going to be a target. So finally, on this idea that, that criticism is inevitable, Preachers are going to suffer from errors by, by their team members, if you will, uh, folks that they work with. Uh, if, a, if a volunteer misbehaves, then the preacher's at fault because he failed to be, he failed to, you know, have oversight of that. If a staff member or a preacher, you know, commits a major sin, well, then we need to ask the question, well, who hired this person? You know, who failed to correct the problem in its early stages? Y'all knew about it, but you didn't do anything with it. You know, on the one hand, preachers are certainly responsible for exercising due diligence in their work, in the ministry, any involvement that they have, uh, all any and all oversight that the elders have delegated to, to the preacher for that moment, for that season. But on the other hand, this criticism seems often, oh, what's the word, unfair, you know, since no preacher is is omniscient and, and, and since people are, are quite adept at hiding their sins, this this takes us patiently to unjust criticism. That's number three. Unwarranted or unjust criticism. It's real. It happens. We've all been there. Cruelty and criticism have always been problems, but but culture culture tends to well, what's the word? Exacerbate the situation, make it worse. That's that's a three dollar word for make it worse, and um, but consumerism, you know, even even consumerism, it's going to lead many many to view the church as a provider of spiritual services, and if if worship or the youth program doesn't satisfy them, then they're, then they're going to say so very loudly. Okay, Americans can't bear disappointment in silence, and all too often church members behave more like Americans than disciples of Jesus. Let's just be real. They think of the church membership as a contract for services rather than a covenant between God and his people. 
you know, and, and two, the rules of social media now permit coarse discourse. You know, I can get on there and be a keyboard, keyboard warrior and fire away and hate everybody's guts. And, 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 and I can say what I want to say and, and without any consequence whatsoever. So, so everybody is a potential critic. It's going to happen. Even if he or she knows nothing of the topic. Sometimes, by God's grace, we become friends um, with people. People who may initially avoid you, or you may initially avoid them. Um, I'm thinking of one particular preacher and one another member. One day they were talking in the uh, in the church, in the fellowship hall, in the kitchen, and this individual confessed, you know, quote, when I, when I joined this church three years ago, I hated you. <laughs> I don't know why. I didn't even know you, but I hated you. And so irrational anger rarely ends so well. <laughs> but you can do some of that. Um, you can have somebody who, who can walk into your office tomorrow and shout wild accusations, you know, for 15 minutes. And um, when you have something like that that goes on, one thing that you might want to do, you know, um, is is pause or almost whisper. They taught us in police academy in what's called verbal judo. I don't know what it's called now, but that's what it used to be called, where by your words and your actions you diffuse the situation. You don't even have to have a gun. Um, you you don't even have to threaten the individual, but the way that you talk to them, the way that you speak to them, you, you walk them down that situation. I want to talk about... I guess, well, let's let's look at the different critics. We, we talked about criticism and that it's, you know, it's something that's it's inevitable, it's going to happen, and, and sometimes it is just, sometimes it's that I needed it, and sometimes it's going to be unwarranted or unneedful or, or whatever kind of criticism. But let's talk about five different critics, okay? Number one is true friends. True friends are going to offer constructive criticism. They're going to present it in ways that we readily hear because they love us and they love God's church, and we know that. Okay, that's the true friend. The second one is, is somebody in ministry, a ministry ally, somebody who works with you. They, 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 ministry allies make the same points for the sake of the kingdom, um, but perhaps state them harshly, or because you work together, the tensions are high. And then there's the third is jealousy. They love of the love of power that they have, or the great disappointment can lead to chronic superstition. Number four is strong systematic, uh, or systemic. Maybe that's a better word. Uh, differences of opinion or a low view of another person's skill or self-discipline that can, can lead to significant clashes. And so at worst, critics interpret the preacher's action in the worst possible way and, and escalating it, uh, you know, escalating even minor problems and just blowing everything up out of proportion. And then the next one is full-blown antagonist, you know, the burn-it-all-down types. <laughs> they make... Uh, you know, concerted attacks. They 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 don't have factual basis. Um, they drive preachers away. They destroy preachers. And it's possible that for all all their religion, uh, they they serve the the actual evil one. You know, there there is a religion that leads one away from God. As Jesus, um, well, the opponents of Jesus in his day showed that you know Satan is 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 the ultimate critic. 
He's literally called the accuser of the brethren. He exploits human weaknesses. He weaponizes human anger. That's just, that's just what you have when it comes to ministry. And so there are false accusations. Um, let's kind of shift to that. False accusations are real. Let's not pretend that they're not. And, and people will perceive something and see something that's not right. You're, as a strong leader, strong preacher, elder deacon, you're going to face opposition. Remember Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah, gracious, um, Jeremiah, Jesus, Peter, Paul. They, they challenged the status quo, and they aroused a whole lot of envy. You know, Numbers 12, 1 through 8 comes to my mind. So remember that, that you're going to face it. Number two, when you, when you are falsely accused, remember that the Lord knows the truth and, and that most people do too. People that matter know. Okay. Further, we all have sins that, that go undetected. We are criminals who are falsely accused of one crime, <laughs> but we are erroneously indicted you know, for 10 others. So it's going to happen. You are guilty of something. Um, even if you are falsely accused, so that, that critic can keep you on your toes, your spiritual toes, even though they falsely accuse you of something wrong. But then third, there there are, good grief, preposterous accusations. And, and that can reveal more about the accuser than the accused. Uh, one church wanted to get rid of a, of a preacher, and so one of the one of the elders hired a very loose woman in town to come and come forward at the end of the church, at the end of worship service, and come forward, make his confession, rather make her confession, and she stood up and made a confession that she had been having an affair with the preacher. Meanwhile, his wife and children were sitting there, and um, and so, yeah, that was pretty awkward. That was pretty rough. Um, bless his heart. Bless his heart. And so that's an erroneous and preposterous and wasn't even true in any way. And about two weeks later, they 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 fired him. Um, it wasn't even that long, I don't think. But then about a month and a half later, the that woman called and called the, the, the preacher and called his wife and said, I was just lying. I was paid to do it. She goes to the church and she goes forward and she says, I was lying. I was just paid to do it. You know, so just just horrible. The devil's real. Uh, he needs to be slapped in the mouth. And one day he's got a he's he's got all that coming. So certainly some people are able to discern when others are lying or they're acting or they have ill motives. But in some cases, liars shout, you know, that's a lie. You know, conspirators are going to holler out that it's a conspiracy. You know, and, and the greedy assume he's only in it for the money because that's why he got into preaching was for the money. But fourth, uh, when you deal with when you have to deal with false accusations, ask the Lord for discernment. You know, there's time to defend our reputation. Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is better than great riches. Proverbs 23, 20 and verse 3, 26, 4 and 5, you know, fools love to quarrel. Uh, and there's a time to forego self-defense. So, some accusers won't listen, though. Certain judges care nothing for justice uh, as well as, you know, Jesus. Jesus well knew this. Matthew 26, good grief. Matthew 27, when speech is pointless, it's pointless. There's some people that it's just like a snake. You don't know if it's dead or alive. It's just best just to leave it alone, walk away. Dan Winkler told me one time about some guys who were some gainsayers. Uh, they were, quote, brethren, and they were stirring division and strife. And he said, you know, when I see folks like that, what I've learned to do is to be like Jesus and, you know, do what he did that one time. And I, and I was thinking, well, what? You know, flipping tables or, you know, what's he doing? And he said, where Jesus said, just let them alone. 
Just leave them alone. Don't give any air to them. Just keep silent. Uh, tell your eldership it's a lie. Just just don't even go into it. Don't don't even don't even go over there and pick up that snake, even if it looks dead. There's just some people that you can't have a conversation with. But then finally, seek to hold two truths when it comes to you know creative tension. Number one, no one has every skill. Okay. And yet, number two, a weakness is still a weakness, and we should try to remedy major defects, you know, that, that are true of us. Israel had three um, regular, you know, offices, if you will, prophet, priest, and king, and none but Jesus held all three of those. You know, only Melchizedek, Moses, and perhaps, you know, and David, they held two of those. But but no one is equally gifted as prophet, teaching, and preaching you know, as king, as leading, as organizing, you know, as priest who's praying, who's caring. That's why God gave the church a plurality of elders, a plurality of leaders, a plurality of, of church folk. So there is a right way to response when it comes to this false criticism, and to criticism in general. But the, the right ways to respond to critics are generally clear. First, let's remember that, that we've received God's unconditional love, okay? It's by faith, and we enjoy a status that is called his child. So just remember that. God loves you, and you're his child. When somebody goes to criticize you, just remember, God loves me, and I'm his child. Um, God God knows. God knows our worst sins, and, and he forgives them. That counts vastly more important than any person's condemnation. So when, while people always want their, their preachers to do more, and they're disappointed if they don't, Jesus has already done everything for us, and nothing we can do um, can make him love us more or be more pleased with us. That that's that should be an encouraging thought. The second thing to do is that to focus on the good that the Lord does through you. No decision, no style of evangelism, no discipleship or teaching pleases everybody. If seventy-five to eighty percent of the people are behind you and another ten percent respect you, just give thanks for that. Okay, you're not going to be liked by everybody in the house. And then third, examine yourself. List, list the criticisms that you hear. Like I said, write them down. Which, which are mostly true? Which ones are partly true? Is it wholly false? Forget the falsehood and work on, work on the others, especially the weightier ones. Ask yourself, you know, which, criti- which criticisms bother me more than they should? You know, why is this so? And then preach the gospel for yourself, you know, and to yourself. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's God who justifies. Who, who is it to condemn? You know, Romans 8, 31 through 34. Yeah, I get it. Humans condemn, but but who are they though? Who are they really Com- compared to the Lord who loves and justifies? And since we are securing God's love, it is possible, though it is very difficult sometimes, for us to love our critics. You know, after all, Jesus said, "Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you." Luke six. So we still have a right to protect ourselves and our reputation, but we should call down grace, not fire. See, what we want is is we want that kind of response to call down grace and not fire to demonstrate our trust in Jesus and his gospel. And then finally, when the self-examination is complete, find your spouse, find your friend, find your mentor. Leadership is not an individual sport. The Lord loves you, and he will show, um, he's going to show you that through true friendship. So preacher under fire, bless your heart. I hate that it's coming down on y'all at one time, it seems like. It's one after the other. It's like um, it's like one fellow told me one time: the beatings are going to going to continue until morale improves. <laughs> Good luck. You know, there's um, 
there's no motivation to do better when you have constant critics around you. I understand that. We all do. We're all that way. But just remember God loves you, and uh, you're doing a fine job. Um, and uh, you may be down. You, you may not be doing a fine job. Uh, the criticism may be true. Just listen to it. Evaluate it. Ask other people. Uh, then pray about it. And then, then make changes that you need to make. Go to that person. Show your love to them. Um, you know, go hug them one Sunday. That might change everything. You never know. You never know. But we'll never know if we don't get out from behind our desk. And so I would invite you to do that. Be involved with your church. Love them. Be, be their minister, not just their preacher. There's a difference. And um, here we are 36 minutes into the podcast. Pretty lengthy one today, but I wanted to cover that. wanted to cover it thorough. Um, and so I, I wish you well. Godspeed. And uh, with the criticisms, just listen to them. Thank, thank them. Ask them to um, pray for you and that you appreciate their awareness and that, that they, they care for God's people and God's church. And uh, see if that doesn't do anything for them and uh, change their their tune. So may God be with you in your preaching and your teaching and, uh, and especially in criticism.